chapter 4, 1 John. Uh, I'm going to start reading. I don't know that I'll read all of this, but I'm going to read part of it to you and then maybe jump around a little bit here. But follow along if you will. As it says up here, I, I, I love Jesus, so I love my church family. Now, before I even get into this, let me, let me make a statement here. Uh, there are things in life that you get to choose and things in life that you don't necessarily get to choose. One is your family. You don't get to choose your family. Uh, unless I'm uh, also unless I'm mistaken, I think there's somebody mentioned earlier there are three sets of twins here today. Yeah, three sets of twins. Yeah, I have a twin. Yeah, I have a twin brother, identical twin, except he's ugly. Uh, no, he really is. He's a, he's a, he's ugly. Uh, we had a little family get together yesterday, and also we had we had three sets of twins there yesterday. Yeah, on my side of the family, we have three sets of twins and a set of triplets. Yeah, thankfully, we don't have anybody pregnant now. Anyway, let's go on here. Dear friends, John writes, let me give you a little background about John here. Now, we know John is one of the apostles of Jesus. When John was traveling with Jesus, he was probably in his mid to late teens. John would have been anywhere between 15 and 18 years of age when he was traveling with Jesus. He lived to be an old man. He was the only apostle that did live to become an old man. John died at approximately about the the age of, of, of 100. Now, when he wrote this book, he was probably in his 40s or 50s. All right, And later on, the last book that he writes, he writes when he's in his 80s. John had a nickname. His nickname was Camel Knees. Now, how'd you like to go through life with that nickname? Yeah, you see, not only is John known as the apostle of love, but John, because of his love for people, the way he had been taught by Jesus to love people, spent so much time on his knees that his knees, the skin on his knees, became hardened and padded like that of a camel. If you've ever seen camel knees, they're not pretty. But John loved people so much that he spent so much time on his knees in prayer to to God on behalf of people. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love made us makes has made us complete or has made has been made complete in us i'm sorry uh let's go on down to uh verse 19 if you will we love because he first loved us whoever claims to love god and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar for whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love god whom they have not seen and he has given us this command Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. We 
have been commanded by God to love. Now, do you know, or maybe you're not aware, but I want to make you aware of this. Do you know that in the Old Testament, when God gave a, gave a command and people did not keep those commands, you know that according to the law, what the Jewish leaders were responsible to do, the people who didn't keep the, keep the commands of God, stone them to death. We don't do that in the church today. If we did that kind of thing in the church today, guess what? Yeah, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of us here. But commands are just important in the New Testament as they are in the Old Testament. God gives a command. He doesn't say it's okay to break it. He says keep it. And so that means we're supposed to love one another. I want to tell you a quick little story here, if you will. Gentleman was at the zoo one day, and he noticed that there was a lion and a monkey in the same cage. And the visitor remarked to someone at the zoo, uh, "How do they get along?" Okay, usually uh, uh, answered the, the, the zookeeper. Occasionally they have a disagreement, and when they do, we have to get a new monkey. Don't we do that? Sometimes we seem to get along. And then sometimes we have disagreements because a lot of times we want things to go our way instead of going God's way. And sometimes because things don't necessarily go the way we want them to go, uh, then we want a new monkey. Now, I'm not calling God a monkey. I'm just, we want a new monkey. We want things to go the way we want to go because that's one of our makeups. That's part of, that's part of what's being wrong with us, of being human. We, want, we have the tendency to forget that God's in charge, not us. Let me read this to you. James chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. Tell us if you really keep the royal command found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing? Are you doing right by that? Do you love people even though they may not necessarily seem to love you? Let me ask you something, ask you this same question, maybe a little differently. Do you love somebody enough to tell them about Jesus that you know doesn't like you? Because you see, that's, that's the responsibility we have as Christians. To find people who may not agree with what we think, what we feel, how we act, and so on and so forth, and tell them about the love of Jesus, because that's what we're commanded to do. Or do we oftentimes act like the lion because we don't get things our way? How are we doing with that? All right. Let me read to you John chapter 15, and starting with verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy uh, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. If you are my friends, if you do what I have commanded... I will no longer call you servants, 
because a servant does not know what is, know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from the Father I have made known to you. Do you know that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you? Oh, I know. We've heard that many times. No, 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 no. Think about this for a moment. Do you know that Jesus loved you so much that when he was hanging on that cross and he had undergone the torment and the torture that he did before he was on that cross, he continued in his love for you that he kept going forward in love? Remember Mel Gibson's movie a few years back about the life of Jesus? A lot of, lot of criticism about that movie at first, when it first came out. Because of the, that bloody scene where they were beating Jesus. <laughs> let, let, let me give you a little information here, all right? That ten minutes in that movie was nothing compared to what Jesus went through. 99.9% of Roman prisoners who were bent over that stake like Jesus was and beaten never lived long enough to even be crucified. But yet his love for you compelled him to not only go through that, but then to go ahead and carry his own cross out to be crucified on it. From the study of the scriptures, you find out that Jesus had seven sayings that he said from the cross. The last one, of course, as he was hanging there with his arms stretched out, about to die, looked up to the heavens and said, it is finished. Now, it wasn't just the fact that he had done everything that God wanted him to do. But I contend that it was also because of the fact that he was saying, my love for you is now so complete that I'm going to die in your place. And he did. That's how much he loves us. That's what he says here that we're supposed to do for others. If we really love other people, we should be willing to put our lives on the line. Even to the place of, ha of that having possibly cost us our lives. Do you know that there have been more people that have died in the last 20 years around the world for Christianity than there has been in the last over 2,000 years? But I guarantee you, you never hear that on the news, do you? But that's the truth. They're demonstrating their love for Jesus and for others. We're commanded to love one another. As I said, how's that working out for you? Why is it that in the New Testament we often hear that command to love one another? 1 John chapter 4 again, as we've read, he said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who has been born of God and knows God, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We need to love people. We need to have such a burden for other people that we're willing, as I said before, to go to the place of even death so that they know what we know about Jesus. Now, let me say something here 
that doesn't mean we tolerate everything. If there's one word in the English language today that I absolutely, positively hate, it's toleration. I would give anybody, anywhere, anytime, a billion dollars. I don't have a billion dollars, but I'd give you a billion dollars if you can find anywhere in the Bible where it says we're supposed to tolerate things. Let me give you a tip. Don't look because it's not there. The Bible teaches us that God hates sin. What does that mean that we're supposed to do as Christians then? We're supposed to hate sin, not tolerate it. But we tolerate it all the time. We we read in the scriptures where things that we used to engage in as people, we're not supposed to engage in anymore because we're not supposed to be that way. But yet, we see people engaging, and we engage in it all the time. Let me, let me read this to you here. We're supposed to set our mind on things above, not on things on earth. We're not supposed to engage, if you will, in the, earth, in the earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, uh, lustful, uh, lust. Lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And yet, you know and I know we do those kind of things each and every day of our lives. We hear the word lust, for instance. Automatically, our minds as Americans probably go to the fact we think about, well, that's talking about sexual. No, it's not. No, it's not. Do you know that lust could simply mean uh, desiring something that someone else has? You don't think this is true? Watch somebody in your neighborhood buy a new car. See how many others show up. I have to laugh at that sometimes because of the, my years as a preacher. Somebody could show up at the church with a brand new car, and the next weekend, guess what? There were two or three more. Oh, but we're not lustful people. Yeah, right. Oh, I know. I know as, as, as Christians, especially as young Christians, we want people to, uh, uh, to love us. And that's true. And, and we should. We really, really, truly should love. All right? We're excited when people, people are baptized. And we should be excited. But I'm, I, I want to emphasize here that, that sometimes with especially new Christians, we have so much giving, giving, giving. And on the part of the new Christians, so much receiving, 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 that they're really not learning anything. As I said, we get excited when they're baptized. We even sing a little song, you know, like, now I belong to Jesus. And that's good. That's great. I'm not knocking that. We should. All right? We hug them and we make over them and, and, and we play, pay close attention to them. And, that, and that's great. But, you know, one of the other responsibilities that we have, and, and I, I apologize. I know I'm, sc- I'm screwing up these poor people up there, but I'm, I apologize for that. The Bible teaches us that we're supposed to teach people. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you're supposed to be a follower. You're supposed to learn things. Do we teach? Not like we used to. Not like we used to. I want to teach you the Bible this morning. And I'm going to do it in less than two minutes. Really, I am. Teach you the whole Bible in less than two minutes. Oh, you really have to remember... That number. 
that number. Now, there are numbers in the Bible that mean have specific meaning to them. And this, of course, is one. This is a very important number in the Bible. Three. The number three stands for the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. A, a fancy theological way of saying that is, is that uh, it stands for the Trinity, which is true. And you can look through the entire Bible and guess what? You're never going to find the word Trinity. But you find the meaning there, right there in that number. All right? Now, to teach you the Bible... If you take three and you times it by three, what do you get? Nine. Thirty-nine. Guess how many books there are in the Old Testament? Thirty-nine. See, man, you guys are, I'm telling you. Thirty-nine. But if you take, if you take three times nine, what do you get? Twenty-seven. If you take thirty-nine and twenty-seven, put them together, guess what? 66, and that's how many books there are in the Bible. I just taught you the Bible. Now, if you want to get a little more specific about it, you take that 39, I can teach you the Old Testament just as, just as fast. 39, here's how you break down the, the Old Testament using your hand. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Five books of law, 12 books of history, Five books of poetry, five major prophets, 12 minor prophets. You just learned the Old Testament. Now I can teach you the New Testament. Four, one, 21, and one, and you got a spare. The Gospels, history, the book of Acts, 21 letters, the book of Revelation. That's the New Testament. You just learned a whole Bible in less than two minutes. Not hard. Basic stuff. A lot of this is not being taught today. Sometimes it's because maybe we use so many sophisticated terms. I say we. I, I'm talking about us preacher types. We use so many sophisticated words that we, we sometimes scare people. You know, like, uh, and I'm not knocking. I'm just using this for illustrative purposes. See, here recently I just taught a class on theology. And I guarantee most people here, you know, hey, they're going to have a class on theology. That means, you know, somebody's going to stand up there and lecture, and they're going to use these big, thick books and, you know, hours and hours and boring. No. What if I told you we were going to have a class on God? Guess what theology is? The study of God. If I told you we were going to have uh, a class on uh, eschatology, I guarantee you most of you are sitting there going, going to have what? What if I said, we're going to have a class on the end times? Would you like that? Oh, yeah. Guess what eschatology is? The end times. We have a class here periodically that's, that teaches uh, what's called soteriology. And you're probably going, so who? Soteriology. Albert teaches a class. How to become a Christian. That's what soteriology is. See, there's a lot of things that we need to be teaching, and we're really not doing enough. That's one of the things I like about here, being here at Griffith. We have a lot of classes going on, and I think that's great. You may say to yourself, well, you know, I really don't want to get into such and such class. That's okay. There's others. There's others. You know that there's a class being taught on, on well, as a matter of fact, I teach a class on Sunday evenings on angels. 
Now, those of you that have been to my angels class so far, don't answer these. Uh, those of you that haven't been, I want to encourage you with this. Uh, if I were to give you a couple of minutes to tell me everything you can tell me about angels, I guarantee you one of the first things you're going to tell me is uh, they all have two wings. No. They all wear halos. No. They're all female. No. Did you know there's no such thing as a female angel? No, there's not. There's not. The term angel in Hebrew and Greek is both masculine. And when you go and study about the angels, guess what you find out? Every one of them is a male. Yeah. We're also, we're also going to, uh, we also have a class on Monday nights on, on, on uh, heaven. On heaven, yeah, yeah. Uh, on Wednesday nights, I teach a class on the Gospel of John. Later on, I'm going to teach a class on cults. You see, when I was saying a while ago about toleration, this is one of the reasons why I hate that word. Do you know what the biggest, fastest growing cult in America today is? The Islamic religion. It's a cult. Do you know that most of the stuff that they that they uh, uh, glorify uh, Muhammad with, if you will, uh, they didn't even do until 200 years after he was dead? Yeah. 200 years later, oh, Muhammad did all these miraculous... Muhammad didn't do anything! But teach a bunch of lies. And he's got people all over the world following that. Do you know where the biggest mosque in the world is? Right outside of Detroit, Michigan, in this country. And millions of people are listening to those lies every day. And it's only getting worse. And one of the main reasons why it's getting worse is because we don't teach. One of my biggest pet peeves with the Christian churches and churches of Christ is this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the Bible. I'm saying what we do with the Bible. Somebody becomes a new Christian. What do we do? Sometimes we bring them up front and we say, oh, congratulations. And here's your Bible. And, you know, good luck. And what do they know about the Bible? How many of you can read computer programs? What's the difference? What's the difference? If we're not teaching them, how are they going to know that there's 66 books in the Bible? How are they going to know that three stands for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If we're not teaching them, better yet, if they're not here to learn. You want to really demonstrate how you love someone? Teach them about Jesus. Don't just tell them, teach them about Jesus. Instead of having the attitude, if you will, that we have sometimes about not really caring for people enough to let them know about Jesus. Two sisters were fighting one day and they spent the whole day arguing and fighting. Came time to prepare for bed at night. They got down on their knees beside their beds to say their prayers. And the eight-year-old said, Dear God, 
bless daddy and mommy and bless the cat and the dog. And then she stopped. And her mother gently prodded her and said, did you forget someone? She glared, she glared across the bed at her six-year-old sister and added, oh, and yes, God bless my ex-sister. Do we do that sometimes with people? Oh, God, I know I should really tell my neighbor. I, I should really tell my sister. I should really tell my brother. I should really tell someone I care about, but then we don't tell them at all. Do we really love them? A lot of times we claim we do, but then we, we really don't. You see, it's critical. It's extremely critical for us to do the things that we're commanded and taught in the Scriptures to do. So my question to you is, why do we have so much trouble with it? Why do we have so much trouble telling people about Jesus? We can tell them about anything else. Well, I, I, I can tell you how to take pictures on your cell phone and, you know, paste them on wherever and all this. God, you know, hey, I can tell you that stuff in a minute. But I can't tell you about Jesus. Oh, that might offend you. You know what? Then we need to be offending people. Because their soul is so important to God that he sent his son to die for them just like he sent his son to die for you. And if we don't tell them, their soul's going to hell. You see, because the Bible teaches there's two places you go to, heaven and hell. There's not a third place. There's not another option. That's it. One of two places. You either are going into the presence of God for all of eternity or you are not. That's the only two options. Contrary to what a lot of others may be teaching and, 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 and talking about nowadays, there are not other ways to heaven except through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are no others. We need, we need desperately to be doing what God has told us to do. My point. Do we really feel loved? Sometimes we, we feel loved and sometimes maybe we don't. Let me, let me tell you about a fellow. Years ago, uh, he, uh, he was a carpenter and he never charged for the work that he finished. Once there was a physician who healed people for free. Once there was a man who fed people with no charge. For no charge. You know what they did with that fellow? They crucified him. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you think he really felt love by people as he was hanging on the cross? You see, as I mentioned a while ago, we want everything coming, 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 coming. No. The best thing you can do to or with anyone is to tell them about Jesus. To lead them to Jesus. When you've done that, you've done the greatest thing in the world. Years ago, I sort of had 
the idea in mind that I wanted to become an obstetrician. Because to me, I don't think there's any, could be any greater thrill in life than to hold a new life in your hands. Well, if you've been around me very much, you, you'll know that there's no possible way I could become an obstetrician. You've got to be smart for that, and I'm not that smart. Besides that, I probably would have had a fear most women would look and run the other way. But I was baptizing some fellows one time, and, and I had mentioned about becoming an obstetrician, and somebody said to me, well, Ron, you, you actually did fulfill your, your, your wish. And I thought, and I stopped, and I thought, what? He said, yeah, every time you bring somebody up out of that water in baptism, you're holding a brand new life in your hands. And let me tell you, there is no greater thrill, not just for the preacher, but for anyone. I've done this for many years at churches that I've preached at. If you led someone to Christ, I want you to baptize them. I really do. Now, if you can't baptize them, you better believe in a heartbeat, I will. All right? Because it's important. But again, let me ask you this morning. How much are we caring about people? Are we caring enough to, to give away everything we have so that they can come to know Jesus Christ? Dale Galloway tells a story in a book called Dream a New Dream. There's a little guy by the name of Chad. Now, Chad was a, a, a little kind of a bashful, backward sort of a guy. And... Uh, his mom would watch sometimes as the kids came home from school. And usually the kids, you know, were, were, they would be like in little, you know, little packs of kids. You know, they're running and playing and holding hands and skipping and boys throwing rocks and all these kind of things, you know. But Chad seemed to always be at, at the back. Never really with the other kids. Well, he comes home from school one day and he tells his mom, because it's getting close to Valentine's Day, and he tells his mom, he says, got to get material and make valentines and she started having some second thoughts in her mind she thought mm -mm. well i don't know if that's a good idea or not because he's he's not really like the other kids a lot of these other kids don't even pay any attention to the fact that he's around but he kept insisting and so she gave in and decided okay all right then this is what we're going to do so they went to the store and they bought all of the material that they thought they were going to need. And sure enough, he made all these little valentines. The day came to take him to school and he put him in a plastic, or he put him in a paper bag. And boy, off he went, just as excited as he could possibly be. And she thought, well, I better do something for him because chances are when he comes home this afternoon, he's not going to have any valentines. So she decided to make him his favorite cookies and have some milk. So when he came home, burst through the door, and she told him, she said, Chad, she says, I've got cookies and milk in here for you because I, I, I know you probably would like them. He just, no, Mom, I don't have time. And on, on, on he went uh, about what he was doing. And she heard him say, not a one, not a one. And she thought to herself, oh, no. All these kids got things, and he got absolutely nothing. She was just heartbroken. And she kept hearing him saying that. So finally she said, Chad, what are, you, what are you talking about? Not a one. He said, not a one, Mom. 
I didn't forget anyone. They all got a Valentine except for him. That's the kind of attitude as Christians we need to have. We need to be willing to give, to give, to give, just as Jesus did. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you really need to. You can sit here and say to yourselves, oh, I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll have tomorrow. Well, I didn't mention this in prayer time, but I will now. Let me tell you about a friend of my family that we've known for many, many, many years. His name's Kenny Smith. Some of you may know Kenny Smith. Some of you, most of you probably don't. Kenny Smith was a minister here in Lake County for, oh, many, many years. Kenny was my music teacher when I was a little guy. Yeah, I took guitar lessons from him for five weeks. He gave Dad back his money. He said, that boy is so tone deaf, he'll never. Kenny died yesterday. He fell the other day, and they rushed him to Chicago. While they were removing the blood clot from his brain, he had a seizure. And then he had a massive stroke. And Kenny died yesterday. Now, I'm telling you because... Even though Kenny was already a Christian, had been for many, many years. I want to illustrate this point to you. You do not know how much time you have. You see, if I had asked Kenny Smith earlier in the week last week, Kenny, what do you think is going to happen this week or next week or the following week or, you know, on? Kenny, what? I guarantee you death would have been the last thing on his mind. But death came. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You need to accept Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Don't think, well, I've got plenty of time. You don't know what you have. You don't know if you're going to be here at supper time. Because not only could death occur or some other tragic event could occur, but something else might occur. The Bible says that we need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, which could happen at any time. It could be now. It could be next week. Oh, I know the critics. It's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come yet. I also remember critics saying that God didn't create the universe, but yet the Bible says God did all of this that we look at in six days. If he did all of this in six days, can you imagine what heaven's going to be like that he's been working on according to our timetable for over 2,000 years? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. Don't get me wrong. I'm not in any great big rush. Uh, but I'm ready. See, I don't know exactly when I'm going to die. I've said this to some of you before. I know how I'm going to die. Yeah, my wife's going to kill me. I'm telling you, that is the meanest hillbilly on the face of the earth. And I'm not telling you anything she hasn't heard. She's heard it for 47 years. And she's going to hear it some more. 
But you don't have a guarantee about anything. You don't have a guarantee about life. You don't have a guarantee about death, except if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then you have this guarantee. When he comes back, he's coming back to get you and me to go and spend eternity with him.